So I've been thinking about uh, this idea of just like compelling people uh, this week in light of this story. Um, Have you ever just been around somebody that just has been compelled or maybe to use the word uh, intoxicated by something? Like they just can't help but talk about it. Like they think about it, they, they eat it, they drink it, they breathe it, they, they dream about it. Like whatever it is just like consumes and compels their life. Like you know that person who basically only talks in quotes from the office. Uh, every other word is like, that's what she said. Um, you know that person that just loves coffee? We have, we have those people here in Nashville, if you didn't know, um, that like coffee is their, is their world. They can tell you, hey, this is the coffee shop you go to to get espresso. This is the coffee shop you go to to get pour over. And this is, you know, and on and on and on it goes. They know exactly, you find yourself talking about like third wave coffee and you're like, third wave coffee? I didn't know there was a first or a second wave of coffee. And I don't have to talk about the Enneagram. Like, you know how Enneagram people are. Um, you know where those conversations always end up. But someone who's so compelled and intoxicated by something, they just can't help but speak about it. So a little insight in tequila in my life. Um, we watched the show uh, Survivor. Um, yes, that show is still on air. Um, 38 seasons in, it is still just as good as it was at the beginning. Um, In fact, you can actually watch old seasons on Amazon Prime. Um, We've done that slash are in the middle of doing that right now. Um, We are total survivor nerds. Um, We talk about it like we breathe it in, like we dream about it. Um, It's a little scary um, how much we love Survivor. But honestly, there was this kind of sobering moment Keela and I had the other day um, where she asked me and she really was not trying to Jesus juke me, um, I promise. But she was like, hey, do we spend more time talking about Survivor than we do Jesus? And it was kind of like, okay, let's think about that for a moment. Like, I, I honestly think there are times when we spend more time thinking about uh, watching, like analyzing Survivor than, than we do talking about Jesus. I'm like, even in our house church alone, you can ask our house church. Like, they'll tell you the real us. Like, we've got half of our house church now watching Survivor because of what we talked about. That I've been asking myself this week, it's kind of a funny thing, but it's a real reality, right? It's a real reality. Like, what is it? I've been asking myself, like, what is it that compels my life? Like, what is it that just like intoxicates my life? What is it that I live for? What is it that I talk about the most out of anything else? And so I kind of ask you this morning, as we get ready to look at Acts 4, like, what is it? Like, if you had to think about it, like, the number one thing that just compels your life, what is the thing that you talk about more than anything else? And I've been reading this story from Acts 4 all week. And God has just been opening my eyes to lives that are just completely compelled and permeated by Jesus. Like you can't read this story and think, yeah, they're they're half in, you know. They kind of love Jesus. No, their lives are completely sold out for Christ. There's something so compelling, so dangerous, so adventurous 
so intoxicating about the lives of these believers in the book of Acts. And I don't know about you, but I've realized this week, last couple of weeks as we've been in this book, okay, I don't wanna spend my life learning about these adventurous lives. Like, I wanna spend my life living the adventurous life of following Jesus. Like, I don't want Sundays to be about us coming and just learning and kind of glancing over and pulling a few things of these lives on like, okay, is this available? Is this on the table? Like, is this, is this possible to be so compelled and so intoxicated by Christ that we would be willing to lay our lives down? I've been wondering that myself. I've been wondering that the last few weeks. And I don't wanna simply live my life studying the adventurous lives of people who followed Jesus 2,000 years ago. Like, I, I want to live the adventurous life of following Jesus today. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for our church. So here we, so here we go. We find ourselves once again in the book of Acts, Acts chapter four, looking at this story. Will, will, we, will, we, will we study this life or will we take this life that we see and begin to go and live it out this week? Maybe even begin to live it out amongst ourselves this morning. And so Acts chapter four, the story we read earlier, like I said, I wanna catch us up. If you haven't been in the book of Acts yet, um, you can go back and listen to the podcast. Um, but I wanna catch us up, kind of give us a quick synopsis of where we find ourselves in the story right now in this moment that we just read. So quick synopsis, Jesus, son of God, leaves heaven, comes to earth, really big deal, right? He disciples, he teaches, he heals, he is God in the flesh among us. So Jesus, he then dies a death on a cross, a death that he did not deserve, a death for each and every one of you, for all of humanity, all sin, past, present, future, paid on the cross. But that's not where the story ends, right? That's what we're gonna celebrate next week. Well, we're celebrating it today too, but we're gonna celebrate it in a special way next week. Jesus raises from the dead. That kind of changes things. See, death no longer has the final word on Jesus's life, but because death no longer has the final word on Jesus's life, death no longer has the final word on his believers and on his followers, which is me and which is you. Now, before going back into heaven, so Jesus raises from the dead, before going back to heaven with his father, he spends 40 days on earth with his disciples, with his followers. And this is where he gives us the great commission. This is during that time, during that period, he gives us the great commission. He says essentially, hey, go and make disciples in my name. I'm paraphrasing here. But this isn't just what he says. He says, all right, now go do. He says, it's actually going to be better for you that I leave. And this is important for us to remember as the people of God. Jesus tells us, he says, it's actually better for you that I go. And if you're like me, you're like, wait, Jesus, I think it would be a lot better if you were here. He says, no, 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 you have to trust me. Because if I leave, the Spirit will come. And the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God comes and dwells amongst us. So for a long period of time, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the power of God was only in one place. It was in the temple. 
And because Jesus ascending back into heaven and sending his Holy Spirit, things changed. Things shifted in the people of God. It changes the way that we live and the way that we operate. Because we are now the temple. We are now the dwelling place of God's presence and God's power. Each and every one of you who are followers of Jesus. This is a big deal. And so we find ourselves here in the book of Acts. Now, the title of the book of Acts um, is the, from the Greek word praxis. And this is, a, this is a word they use to kind of document um, acts or deeds of the apostles. And so the full name of the book of Acts, if you didn't know this, is the Acts of the Apostles. We just shorten it to, to Acts. And the title reflects the contents of this book. A series of stories about key apostles, about key believers, immediately following the decades when Jesus goes back into heaven. And so these stories, this is why, this is why we're in this book as a church family. These stories gives us insight into our beginning as the church, the church of Jesus. But I would, I would like to argue from things I read this week, this story is really not about the acts of the apostles, but it's about the acts of Jesus through his people. It's about the acts of Jesus through his people. Jesus leading his people by his spirit to go out into the world to invite all people invite all nations to live in the kingdom of God, to live under the rule and the reign and the authority of Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves. Like that's this moment we find ourselves in in the book of Acts. And so we've been working through these stories one by one. And last week we came to this story, which I kind of caught us up on at the beginning, where Peter and John, they they heal this layman, this crippled man that had been uh, crippled for nearly 40 years. And he's not only healed physically, he's healed spiritually. And we know that by the word that they use, the word that they use when they described how he was healed. He wasn't only healed physically, but he was healed spiritually. And we see that by his reaction. He's not only healed that he can walk, but we see that he's jumping and praising and leaping. Like he's praising God, so much so that the people around him begin praising God. And so Jesus not only saves his physical body, but he saves his, he saves his soul. And here's where we kind of jump back into the story. This is what's happening. Like the miraculous has happened. It was undeniable, even according to those who were opposed to him. It was undeniable. And, and we see these reactions. And this is kind of the first place that I want to dig in, the kind of the three reactions that we see to this miraculous thing happening. Three reactions, not only that I think we see here, but I think we see um, today amongst, amongst people. And so kind of the first response, one response I want us to see is opposition. Opposition, if you're taking notes, uh, this is kind of where you begin to write things, opposition. And this is just the blatant ill will towards Jesus and his followers. In this story, this is actually the religious leaders that are, that are opposed uh, to what's happening here. They're the ones working against, and the religious leaders of the time were also the political leaders of the time. Um, and we see in verse 16, they, they couldn't deny what had happened, which was kind of the puzzling part for them. They, they couldn't deny what happened, so they didn't really know what to do. 
So in, in one sense, they believed. In one sense, they believed and they saw what was happening, but they still wanted to uh, oppose what, what Jesus and his followers were doing. And I began to uncover in my study this week, so the religious leaders of the time, the political leaders of the time, uh, they really just wanted to maintain and keep order. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin at the time at the temple was a very powerful entity. Uh, they had a lot of power. They had a lot of control. And so really what they were doing is they didn't want any sort of disruption to begin happening. They didn't want any sort of upheaval to begin happening. I just kind of started to think about their lives and their hearts. Okay, like what's going on here? And I don't, I don't see the full picture. But what I kept thinking this week is I think the God that they had created was one that was pretty comfortable. Like the God that they, that they were following um, was, was, was a God that kind of fit in their box. And anything outside of this box, anything that was different um, from anything that they've experienced or seen was, was nothing that they wanted to be a part of. And so because it did not fit in their box, they, they were opposed uh, and really ill towards Jesus in his ways. So in, in one way, they, they could see it. They couldn't deny it. But yet they decided not to believe, which kind of, I think brings us to another response we see. It's this response of apathy or opting out. You know, seeing it, in, in one way believing it, but deciding like, I, I don't want it. Um, I don't, I don't want, hey bud, how are you? Um, so this isn't only happening right here in this moment. Like this happened all throughout Jesus's ministry, right? Um, this is not something that Jesus and his followers would have been like, um, uh, like thrown off by. Like the people that were just like, no, I, I, I don't want in. But then you see this third response. You see this third response, and you see it in verse four. Now let's go back to that. It says, but many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So you see, you see here like those who believed and those who followed. Those that see Jesus and those that follow Jesus. Those that see Jesus at work and believe in Jesus. And it's the people who believe and it's the people who follow that go on to live these compelling, intoxicating lives. So much so that they can't help but talk about Jesus and what he's doing. And this is what I want for me. Like, this is what I want for me. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for our church. But more importantly, like, this is what God wants. This is what God wants for each and every one of us, that we, that we have life and life to the full in Jesus. And what I want us to look at kind of during the second half of our time this morning in the text is, okay, what are the components to these compelling lives? Like, what, what is it about these lives that made them so compelled and intoxicated by Jesus? And one of the first things I noticed when I read this text was verse eight. Let's go back and read verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. There is a trust upon the Holy Spirit. There is a need for the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early Christians. You can't go through the book of Acts and think that the Holy Spirit was just a, a second thought to the early Christians. But when I look at my own life, I'm like, okay, how often, like 
How often, each day when I get up, the situations I find myself in, how often do I just desperately need the Holy Spirit to come through? Like, how often am I just leaning into the Holy Spirit to do something that is beyond me? Or how often am I, am I good enough kind of on my own and on my own power? And I was asking myself this week, okay, like what does it look like to have a life that is just relying upon the Holy Spirit? So that's the first thing we see. Number one, a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. The second, the third, and the fourth thing that, that I noticed this week all come in verse 13, which I said it earlier, and, and I'll say it again. This has become one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So the second thing, real quick, it's simple, but it's profound. They were courageous. Like, what, what was it that stood out? They're sitting there, they're testifying before this court, and what was it that stood out? The first thing, their courage. Now, I've been thinking just a lot recently with, with my son, who's, you know, uh, doing really good in here today. He's doing awesome. Um, is like, how is it that I want him to describe me as he gets older? Like, as I get older, as he learns, like, to, to know me and describe me, like, how is it that I want him to, to, to know me um, as, as a man, like, as a follower of, of Jesus? You know, those assignments in school where you're like, you're like, here, here's what I think about my, you know, parents, and you bring it home, and you're like, oh, that's so sweet. Well, I was like, okay, how is it that I want him to describe me? Like, do I want him to describe me as like, He's, a, he's like a really nice guy. Like, my dad's a really nice guy. And I was just thinking about that this week. Like, do, do I want the first word to come out of his mouth that describes me as courageous? And I realized this week, I'm like, yes. Like, I want him to know me as someone who is courageous, someone who is adventurous, someone who is willing to risk it for Jesus. And so the second thing we see is this, this courage. But we have to remember, this is not like a mustered up, man-made type of courage. Because remember the first one, a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. So this courage, it wasn't natural. This courage came from being in Christ, right? Being in Christ, consumed by Christ. Now the third thing they were unschooled and they were ordinary. I'm like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. They were unschooled and they were ordinary. How many of you feel like, okay, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. Like, I don't know enough about the Bible to tell people about Jesus. Like, I don't know enough about following Jesus to bring other people in to this life of following Jesus. You know, I don't have the words. Like, I don't have the charisma. Like, I don't have the ability to... to to really relay what it is, hey, that is good news. That is good news. I'm telling you, this has become one of my favorite verses. Do you have to know enough and be somebody to be used for God, for his glory? Absolutely not. In fact, the qualification, according to Acts chapter four, for being effective in the kingdom of God is that you are unschooled and ordinary. And I just love the, the countercultural 
counterintuitive ways of Jesus. Like Jesus is so awesome that he would use unschooled, ordinary people to begin and start and breathe life into the church. That gives hope for people like me. I don't know about you. Fourth thing, we need more of that. I like that. Yeah. Let's do that more. Amen. Fourth thing, they had intimacy with Jesus. They had intimacy with Jesus. They had friendship with Jesus. What, what stood out to the people they were testifying in front of? Okay, they were courageous. They were unschooled and ordinary. And I love that they said this. They noticed that they had been with Jesus. Now, this isn't rocket science or anything, but if, if we wanna be followers of Jesus, like we have to actually follow Jesus. We actually have to be with Jesus. And I realize so often in my life, um, I'm wondering like, okay, why is it that I'm not producing fruit? And I look back upon the last month and I'm like, oh, I haven't, I haven't been with Jesus. Like I haven't abided with Jesus. And that's the word that kept coming to mind this week, abide, abide. Jesus tells us, he says, hey, you have to remain in me. I remain in you. If you do this, you will bear much fruit. John 15, abide in me, abide in him. If we abide in him, if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. So as we've looked at these just compelling, I would argue just intoxicating lives of Jesus followers, we see number one, a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Number two, a courage beyond themselves. Number three, we see that they were unschooled and ordinary. And number four, they had an intimacy and a friendship with Jesus. Like I said at the beginning, um, I don't wanna simply know about the adventurous lives of those who followed Jesus 2,000 years ago. I wanna live the adventurous life of following Jesus today. What, what about you? What about us like, a, as a church? One of the things that I've loved about our time in the book of Acts is just the communal aspect of their living, the communal ways of their living. Uh, and though a personal, intimate walk with God is, is needed and is a good thing, I've really come to realize in our time in Acts, we will not be able to accomplish the mission of God. We will not be able to accomplish the mission of God in our city and beyond as a bunch of individuals who love God. It's gonna take us as a community relying upon the Holy Spirit, like really relying upon the Holy Spirit, being courageous, taking risks, and following Jesus wherever it is that he is leading us. And so as we close out our time, I'm actually gonna look to the response and this is gonna lead into our time of prayer together. I love this because Peter and John, they go out, they come back. And that's where we pick up in verse 23. And this is what we're gonna do together as a church family. We're gonna, we're gonna pray. But they didn't pray as individuals, they prayed together as a community. So it says, on the release, verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And I love this response. When they heard this, they raised their voices together 
in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What's their immediate response? They just look to God. They just look to God. They're like, God, you're amazing. God, we praise you. It's just just a moment of praise to God. And then they continue, verse 25. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. They begin quoting scripture. So they begin to lean upon scripture, these words that they've known as as a Jewish people for a long time. It says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings will rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So they're quoting scripture in their prayer. They're leaning upon the word of God. And it continues, verse 29. It says, jump ahead to verse 29. Now, Lord, I love this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. It's so weird to me. This, there's not like, okay, Lord, protect us. Like, keep us safe. Not that those are bad prayers, but I love the prayers here. Like, Lord, enable your servants to speak your name even bolder and even more courageously. And it continues, verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's what we did last week. We said, God, will you you come? Will you move? Will you heal today just like you healed 2,000 years ago? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed and they were filled. They prayed as a community and they were filled as a community. And this morning, as our communion time, I want us to pray as a community and I want us to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a community. And so I wanna invite you now, one of the things that we do um, each and every week as a body of believers is we come to the table, we come to the bread and we come to the cup which represents the blood and the body of Jesus. And we come to him and say, Jesus, do what only you can do. And so I wanna invite you to actually grab bread, grab the cup, and then come back and circle up your chairs. And we're gonna pray these four, these four prayers together. Will you throw those up on the screen? Oh. No? It's good though. Yeah, perfect. Um, Actually, remember to pick up your chair at the end. Um, We're gonna come together as a community and we're gonna pray these four prayers. We're gonna begin like they begin in response. God, just thank you for who you are. Just give thanks to God. God, you're good. God, your love endures forever. God, you're faithful. Whatever it is that comes to mind when you circle up your chairs, just praise God. Just thank God. Let's thank and praise God together as a community. And then I wanna invite us to pray a prayer for, for more of his spirit. God, will you make us a people? Will you make us a church that that is reliant upon the Holy Spirit? Like, will you make us a church that just craves your spirit at work amongst us and beyond? Then we're gonna pray a simple prayer that that they prayed because we won't be able to do it otherwise. It's gotta be God. God, will you give us the courage to speak your name boldly? And then number four, God, will you stretch out your healing hand? We prayed it last week. We're gonna keep praying it. God, will you do the miraculous in our city? Not not for our glory, but for your glory, God. So that those who don't know you will come to know you. 
God, we want more. We expect more because you said you will do it. And so I want to invite us to all stand up together right now. Let's grab the cup and the juice. Let's come back to our chairs, circle our chairs up. You can make a messy if you want. If you don't have anybody to pray with, um, everybody look around, invite people to come and pray with you. Um, let's just as a community seek the face of God together.